0: It was freaking hard dealing with that. And when you're 17 years old, having all that stress, having no outlet, feeling abandoned. You know, I am one of the guys who got fired and decided to open my own shop.
1: Tell us how the firing went then.
0: Uh, the firing? Well, my uh, wife at the time wasn't happy. <laughs> but... <laughs> I am very unconventional. My path of how I got here isn't your typical story of the guy who went through high school, got into college, you know, worked hard in college and got an internship, the whole nine yards. Like that whole plan to me is like the 10 year, if you're lucky, you're successful plan. Uh, and you don't have that kind of plan. Unfortunately, that's the system now. Honestly, I kind of fell into this unconventional path just due to like personal things that were going on in my life with my family and you know, having to be out on my own and figure it out for myself and leverage my own kind of like capacity of like, how am I going to make it into this world with just my two hands and my brain? You know, it makes you think a little differently when you realize like you have to take a different path. And in order for you to be successful, you have to, think unconventionally around the facts of like, okay, what's going to make me stand out? And I think one of the biggest things that I learned through that process after high school is assessing my own skill set and assessing what I'm good at. Right, I had to kind of have that self-evaluation fast. And most of the time, people still to this day, they could be in their mid-20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s and still kind of not know who they are and what value they could potentially add to the world. And at a young age, one of the things I got involved with in high school was this program called DECA, which was like this marketing competition program. And that's what kind of opened up my eyes to being an entrepreneur because the way it was set up it was like Shark Tank but they gave you like a scenario of a business that they're struggling with and you only had like 10 minutes to come up with a plan and then you had to pitch the plan and for me like my, my brain just went on overcharge with like learning of how, deconstructing and figuring out unique ways for a business to be successful and that's kind of what started the itch and long story short you know through my sophomore to, to senior year i took something that i was just looking to get out of school with for extracurricular activity during the day. And I found myself, you know, winning these competitions, like coming in first place in the state and going into nationals and doing very well on that. And what I ended up realizing at a time where I was like, all right, well, I have no one to help support the loans and I need to make money. I don't want to flip burgers. I don't want to be that statistic. I want to leverage what I'm actually good at. So I back then realized the value I had with strategic thinking, critical thinking and sales and marketing for from my background in decca but i also before that i had a knack for digital marketing even beyond during the high school area because that was when youtube came out and you know was starting to peak interest with musicians especially unknown musicians and back then their algorithm was very focused around Commenting real time. So let's say Justin Bieber back when he had a high pitched voice, you know, he would drop a music video and almost within the second, there would be almost a hundred comments filling in. Right. And in my head, I was like, you know, an average video lasts two minutes. And an average person probably watches two videos. So the attention span of someone being active on that platform was like four minutes. So I was like, all right, let me play around and copy and paste a few of these names. And you know, I was a musician at the time. and had a few videos. I'm like, let me direct them to my stuff, see what they think. And the conversion rate was just through the charts. By the time I got done copy and pasting as fast as I can, like a madman, but at the time I went to my next batch, it was literally like 10 new comments out of the 20. So 50% that came through and shares and Likes from those people. And I learned back then about the value of finding, you know, from an 80 20 perspective, your 20% that are the most active, engaged people, because these are people who comment on videos rather than just watching. So I identified that. And what I did then was take uh, some of the, you know, basic programming chops I had, which was building a whole, you know, loop that did all that manual work automatically. So in the long term, I was generating thousands of messages that was being sent out the day. And then I started monetizing that by reaching out to other musicians and stuff like that and say, Hey, I developed this cool little thing that could get you like YouTube famous and it was generating, you know, for people like a hundred thousand hits almost a month or if not more, if it got you know, if it was a really good song and people shared it out a lot and it worked and it was my way of making money back then. I was charging bands and groups, you know, anywhere from fifty bucks to two hundred bucks, you know, and just doing that a month and at a certain point I was pulling around, you know, two thousand dollars and sales from it and that's kind of where between learning about like how good I could critically think and learning about you know how I want to infuse digital marketing into it, how I was able to leverage those assets that I knew I had to land my first job right out of high school doing you know marketing and sales. And the job I had back then was sales focused. You know, I think for most people, even if you go to a four year college, the thing that they don't teach you and give you a curriculum is, is in sales. You know, every person and, you know, from your own career, if you can't sell yourself, right, And honestly, I feel like you can't sell anything. You know, you're your best product. And if you don't know yourself, and you don't know yourself as a, even if you look at yourself as a product, it's going to be really hard for any person to sell a company that they have or an idea that they have or a software that they want to create, because it all comes back to how you can communicate with people and how you articulate yourself and how you can really sell the passion and, and your energy towards a topic or, you know, conversational point. So, you know, at an early age, I just was fortunate enough to have that self awakening. And I know Gary Vanderchuk talks about all the time about self-awareness. And the reason why he talks about it so much is because that's your X factor. So for all you guys listening, if you don't know yourself to the core of what really adds value to other people that you could provide, then you really need to figure that out first before you really jump into a a business that you're trying to launch. Because you'll find eventually it'll catch up to you.
1: Yeah. And I'll agree with that. Not even just in business, but just in general, like you're saying, you're, you know, say you're a single guy, if you have no confidence in selling yourself, like then you're probably never going to get a girl, honestly, you know, it's the same type of thing as in business. It's just, if you don't have that confidence and understand that, you know, then I think that's kind of where it starts Then what makes you an entrepreneur. So I definitely agree with the selling part, but could you talk a little bit, I mean, did you make a program clarify a little bit about the YouTube and how you got started from that?
0: Yeah. Yes. It was Pretty much just identifying like my agency, my marketing agency is all around growth hacking, right? We look at, you know, companies and we identify vulnerabilities in the marketplace that we could make you know a positive for the customer, right? So we do unconventional ways of marketing. And back then that was just my way of exploring a vulnerability in the marketplace of finding, you know, opportunity. So the opportunity was I saw real time people finding real time, you know, content that they liked and or commenting on, and instead of saying like, "Hey, I want to create music," and say, "I hope people come to me," I was going to where the customers already were, and just developing is something that just automated the process of me having to copy and paste every one of them, and you know, send it out. Because oftentimes people will come up with an idea or whatever it might be, and they say, "Ah, oh, it's either too much work, or ah, oh, you know, I just don't know how to do certain things, or I don't know how to attract those certain people." But realistically, it's really not that hard. It's just a matter of taking that extra step. And that's all I did back then. Back then, I was just taking the extra step of saying, all right, well, this works. I'm not going to slave away during the middle of class or after school doing this. Let me figure out something that could work all the time. And it's just developing that like growth hacker mentality of just seeing how you can deconstruct problems and deconstruct solutions to problems to make things work for you. And you could do that for anything in your life.
1: So let's fast forward today. I get you're 27. You're living right outside Denver.
0: Uh, yeah, actually, I just moved from New Jersey over to Colorado. Actually, okay, I'm over. I'm over in uh, the Fort Collins area, so a little bit north of Denver.
1: It's been about 10 years since you graduated high school. So, could you just walk us through from? Yeah, you know, I guess you were saying you did the YouTube stuff kind of out of high school, right? And then, yep. Today, I mean, you founded Second Flight Consultancy. Mm-hmm. How about the gap in between? Were you still doing marketing?
0: Yeah, so I was doing sales and marketing, but for companies. Um, during the time that I was kind of going through a really hard time in my life with going through everything on my own and trying to figure it all out, I actually was fortunate enough to run into a mentor uh, who, you know, thought really highly and saw potential with, you know, who I was. And what he told me was, you know, again, this was when I was like 18, 17, 18 years old, you know, depressed that me, because I didn't have a piece of paper, I was going to be a failure in life. He was saying to me, you know, even back then, like, hey, listen, by the time you graduate or 10 years from now, which we are today, he was like, people are going to realize that, you know, having a college degree is really not that valuable anymore. And I was like, really, that's crazy. How could that ever be possible? Because we were fed that all our lives. And he was like, people are going to value the experience you have rather than a piece of paper at the end of the day. Because the company Companies are all about the bottom line. They want people who could produce, they want people who could perform. And oftentimes the best way you could perform is through the real world and life experiences. And he was like, he told me that when I landed that job, he was saying to me, and this was a successful entrepreneur too, and he said to me, like, every year that you would have graduated through a, another year of college, so from freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior, junior, senior, I want you to try finding another opportunity. Give yourselves promotion. Don't allow the employer to determine. Determine your growth within the company because you ultimately have the control of that instead of you getting an entry level position and waiting for that time with that person that is above you to get fired or a position to open up for you to improve up, which could take up to four years for some companies, right? Instead, develop a killer track record of what you did there. Right, and then within a year, start shopping that track record around to a, someone, another organization that could have a position that you want above that, and then sell yourself and sell the track record of why you're able to handle that position. So ultimately, what I was doing was I was leveraging myself every single year with everything I learned, with all the great you know statistics I had to carry with me. So by the time I grad, I would have graduated college. I actually had a four plus year track record in marketing and sales with an Industries, multiple companies of all very successful track records with, you know, positive letters, recommendation from each one of these companies. So by the time I was graduating and would have probably got an internship or a very entry-level position, I actually landed a chief marketing officer position at a financial firm that had around $4 billion assets on their management and getting paid a six-figure salary. So it was amazing how when you're able to leverage yourself and show the value you have, how it ultimately happens and becomes fruitful. Now, mind you, it wasn't easy i had to go through a lot of bs in the beginning with the rebuttal of oh wow your your resume looks great but i think you missed something where's your where did you go to college <laughs> and i got that a lot as you know most typical uh recruiters probably have their checklist of things that they go through and i ran into that rebuttal all the time and the best way i was going you know to answer that was literally saying well hey at the end of the day what matters more someone who has a proven track record that they could perform or someone that I sat in a classroom for four years. And now is finally, you're going to take the risk, the $40,000 investment, even you're going to take a $40,000 investment risk. And I could fail because I have no proven experience into this. And when you flip the switch like that, it really does, you know, you do look at it differently.
1: So you're basically like, what do you call like a kind of freelancer or solopreneur between those years, I guess, leading up to 22 or before you got the marketing agency job?
0: No, I would say I was married to companies. I was employed. So I would just simply work at a company mm. and do everything I need to do. And once I felt like, you know, you know, I exhausted what I, what everything I need to do there and I wanted to find something better, I just kind of leveraged that into a next area. So, and then eventually when I, you know, hit that certain point, I learned an important role about fulfillment you know, what makes you fulfilled. And when I was making a really solid amount of money, I just learned that I wasn't happy making money. You know, I wasn't happy exactly what I was doing. And I learned it wasn't so much about, you know, what I was doing is more or less the freedom of what I was doing. Right. So when you look at money and fulfillment, I used to think growing up that when you have money, you're happy. And it's entirely not true. And if you're going into a career or you're going into even a business for the money, just stop it right now. You're going to run into this depressing state of not feeling happy, even if you're making all this money in the world. And that's kind of what I was going through at that time. Because even though I was doing well, I just didn't feel fulfilled because I felt like I couldn't expand upon what I like doing. I loved The one thing I learned about jumping from new positions and new industries is that I love new projects. It was like a new puzzle for me, right? Every new opportunity of a job that I, I acquired was like another puzzle of a problem that I wanted to fix. And I learned like if I had the flexibility to have infinite amount of companies that come to me with their problems and they're looking for me for the solution, I would love that because that just gets my brain waves going. I feel like the dopamine levels in my head just increase... Just when someone tells me like, Hey, here's my problem. You know, here's what I've been going through. I need a solution and immediately my head just starts, you know, I could see the formulas running in my eyes and in my head just running of all the solutions I could come through. And that's what I love. And that's what I learned. Like that's what I want to do. I want to have the flexibility. And that's kind of where it led me into the path of opening up my agency, having the freedom doing what I'm doing and supply all the talent that I acquired over the years and really exploit, you know, everything I know I could do well.
1: Well, when you're jumping like company to company with the industries, like what were you specifically doing there to help you uh, grow into starting your own company?
0: Yep. So, in the initial phases, it was very sales focused, right? The first one was I was working at a very high end resort and hotel that was in New Jersey. That job taught me a lot about sales in the B2B space. That was really important because learning sales in the beginning and then eventually, you know, applying the ways of marketing of lead generation and stuff like that was, you know... Came natural, but the actual selling part is difficult. That's like selling is like working out your bicep, right? In the beginning, everyone has some scrawny biceps. And in order to get a pretty nice looking arm, you got to keep doing those curls. And the same thing goes with sales. In the beginning, I mean, there might be a few prodigy people who just have the gift of gab and knowing how to move a conversation and, you know, convince people about certain things that you want them to, you know, like or to buy. But for most people, it's like growing. Growing a muscle and it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of practice, it takes a lot of different ways of exercising and you got to make yourself feel uncomfortable at times. And most people don't realize that. And the people who don't like sales may just not like the uncomfortability of how it feels. Like if you do leg day, <laughs> no one likes doing leg day, you know, because of the after effects of it, because you feel like you feel horrible. Your legs are sore. And, you you know, most people say after doing one day a leg day, they just don't want to do it anymore. You know, eh, screw it. I'll just work on my top half. But it, the same thing goes with sales. Some people say, hey, I'm going to go to a networking event. They're in the scene and they immediately shell up and they're like, uh, no, no, sales is not for me it's too scary it's too intimidating but and they just abandoned it and they lose that skill a very valuable skill set that you need to have in life and fortunately i you know focused on that muscle at an early age and just continued growing and i was fortunate enough to have some really good mentors during that time that helped me hone those skills and as a business owner who relies solely on like yeah, we have great clients, our we our clients stay with us because how good we are, but honestly you can't grow a company unless I bring in more clients. So, you know, it's the life, you know, line and the blood of my own company if is sales at the end of the day. So that's a big thing for me.
1: And I'll agree with you on leg day. I do full body workouts when I go now, so I can't skip leg day. I used to be that guy, so <laughs> Definitely understand that correlation there.
0: No, I mean it's but it's the truth. And oh, I yeah. think that's the best way to describe it. When people are like, Oh, what's your secret? What do you what's your biggest advice? I'm like, Well, especially the young guys you know, high school kids even, you know, I say, Hey, listen, instead of trying to get a job as a lifeguard or a job behind a counter, you know, scrubbing dishes, try to see if you can even land some sort of telemarketing job, get rejected a 100 times a day with a smile on your face and still trying to figure out a way to make people like you. Mm -hmm. You, Because you learn perseverance, you learn a lot of things that you just can't get taught unless you experience it. So it's super valuable.
1: So you're saying that first job, basically at the high end resort, that's kind of where you learned the sales. And then did you get more into marketing with your other jobs when you're jumping into those?
0: They were all very sales focused, okay. but I started integrating myself more because it was all very corporate structured, right? So I started integrating, getting my end into sales, but I was talking with the marketing department. So I'm like, hey, you know, I noticed that you're doing this and so here's what we could do better. And then it started integrating into sales and marketing mm-hmm. as things started to keep going more forward and forward
1: yeah and as I keep doing more and more of these interviews, those are the two things that keep coming up is sales and marketing because they are closely related as far as you know you have to get those clients to keep the business going, so definitely understand that too. so I guess when you ever want to talk about what you started your company and kind of what made you start it?
0: yeah, yeah, so ultimately, going back to my last day job, right, I was with you know a lot of very successful business owners and entrepreneurs. Granted, you know, because they had to have a net worth of a million dollars even to be with the firm. But I didn't have my Series 7. Uh, So I couldn't talk about the market. I couldn't talk about investment strategies. I couldn't talk about anything, even regarding their portfolio. So at these events, I just talked about what I knew, which was marketing. So what naturally ended up happening just by jumping in and diving about like marketing trends and what I see and what I suggest. And, you know, when people throw in their problems to me, it just started attracting a lot more entertaining conversations which led to people wanting to have me talk to their own marketing team and I was just doing this all for free because this is the added value I saw I was adding to the clients but it got into the ears of the uh, you know the corporate uh, ladder and they are like you know hey you no know, why are you doing this you're not supposed to be doing this and they gave me the ultimatum I mean when you have a young 22 something year old guy who's making more money than he should statistically they, they tried I felt like I was being a little bit pigeonholed It's almost felt like it was like I was being owned, right? Hey, we're paying you this much, so we own you. Your intellectual property of your mind is our intellectual property kind of thing. So anything you tell other people is like a no-no. And that wasn't cool to me. And the biggest thing that I really, really wanted to do was ultimately that. So when they kind of said, hey, you got to either choose this or you got to do your own thing, I immediately said, you know what? I think it's finally time. So getting fired was honestly the best thing that honestly can ever happen because it was kind of like how most people fear sales. I had the fear of the unknown a little bit. You know, when you have a job, you, you know, you're going to get paid every two weeks, you know, but when you don't have a job, you don't know when that next payday is going to happen when you run your own business. So when you're left with the ultimatum of, hey, I could just find another place that will hire me. But ultimately, I know from, un, you know, having that self-awareness of what will make me fulfilled. And it's not the pay anymore. It's about doing what I know ultimately would make me happy. You know, I just realized, you know, now's the Time, or I'm going to continue this cycle that is going to eventually be a negative for me instead of a positive. So, I like most uh, successful entrepreneur stories. You know, I am one of the guys who got fired and uh, decided to open my own shop.
1: (laughs) Tell us how the firing went then.
0: Uh, The firing, well, my uh, wife at the time wasn't happy. (laughs) But (laughs) You know, going going into that wasn't cool. She was, you know, we've been together since high school. So we've been together for over 10 years now. And that year was actually the year that I was planning on asking her to marry me. So when you saved up all the money for a ring and then you're like, all right, my burn rate is this. (laughs) You know, going into that, it was definitely tough. That was really hard, honestly. But after a short few grueling months and then once you start getting some clients in and you're making money, it's like it all doesn't matter anymore. But I will have to say, you know, I've seen the picture a lot and it's that picture of the guy mining and you see two guys mining. The one guy is mining and he stops and he's like maybe an inch away from the gold, like the whole like the massive nugget of gold. And then you got this other guy and he's zigzagging away in in, underground, but he gets to like the massive treasure of gold. And I was at that cusp at the like the five, six month mark because I burned through like $30,000 because it's just lifestyle and you know, spending money into the business. And I was trying to get like a solid amount of, you know, clients and with the life cycle of it and having literally like barely any kind of website and presence or name, you know, I was running out of everything. And I am kind of prideful in the sense I really don't like asking for help with when it comes to money. And that week that I almost kind of caved in and finally almost caved into my my friends and my girlfriend you know, at the time, girlfriend, now wife's family saying like, hey, you just got to get a job at this point. You know what I mean? I was about to to ask, you know, my uh, brother-in-law, you know, for just some money to, to keep me going, you know, and it was like a test. I feel like I feel like the universe sometimes tests us to see if we're worthy enough of what's about to happen, right? And I think it was a test of pride at the time. And most entrepreneurs, I feel like, struggle with the ego and pride. You know, some people like to fake their success. And they don't really like to talk about all the pain they went through to get to the success, all the embarrassment, and all the things that just shattered their ego and shattered their pride. Right. And at that point, that was a very uh, that was a moment that, you know, put my ego in check and put my pride in check. You know, having to ask someone who's literally like five, six years younger than you for, you know, a thousand bucks. That's pretty embarrassing, if you ask me. And I had to do it, though. You know, if I wanted to keep this thing going, I had to do it. And I had to put everything aside and ask for that. But as soon as that happened, he gave me the money. But by the end of that week, that was when I finally closed, you know, two of my biggest clients. And I don't know if it's like all hunky, you know, spirituality or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But it was something I feel like that was a test, you know, and it was just really, you know, coincidental. Honestly, I feel like a lot of people in their lives and running their business they are going to be marked, especially in the early days. And even as you're successful and trying to continue to grow, you're going to be something's going to be put in front of you where it's a crossroad feeling. And honestly, I feel like they're there to kind of like test what way you're deciding to go, and I feel like during that time I could have been just this egotistical, prideful guy. That's like, no, I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to ask for money. I'm just going to go into the grave, which honestly is the most reckless thing to do. But I went the other route and literally owned up to like, oh yeah, you know, things haven't been going the way I wanted to go. But you know, I want to keep this thing going. I'm not going to pretend I'm doing great because I'm not. But I'm not going to let that be the reason I have to hang my hat up. And I came into that realization and then everything actually happens so
1: well, let's get more of the details i mean as far as you said you're making what six figure are we saying 100k at least if you're doing six figures i mean where was Were you not saving your money, thinking that you wanted eventually to create your own company, or where was all that going?
0: Well, I did during that time. You know, when I was at a salary job, I was putting money into savings. Mm -hmm. But when you have a, when you're used to a certain lifestyle, and then of course, like if I was a single guy, I could have totally maybe last longer. You know, you don't want to ruffle up anything. You know, especially when you're you're in a relationship, and you don't want that to kind of get all messed up, right? Especially if you invested a lot of time, and you, you don't want. To regret anything. So between lifestyle and then also investing in the company in the early stage, like you, know, you eventually at a certain point you burn through that money, you know, especially as a startup when you're using yourself funding it. So I just was hitting very dangerous areas where you know the credit card was getting close to maxed out because I couldn't manage all the other stuff that was going through. And you know, if I wanted to do this I, again, I wasn't planning on getting fired at that time. <laughs> I was actually planning on proposing and spending a lot of money on a ring right. you know so if I had to give any kind of advice for someone who and probably most of your listeners may be working that day job and they want to maybe start their business and they maybe want to quit or maybe they get fired but if your end goal is to start your own company and do that I highly suggest that you should start putting the money away and when you really are ready and you look at your your personal expenses Of what you spend, and you build enough for at least a year. At least a year. You know, don't go into the painful area of you know realizing you put all your effort in, but you have to still kind of go back into losing all that momentum because you got to get a job again if you want to like actually go in all into it. So do good at your job. Find time before or after. Try not to do it in between because that will get you fired, like it did for me. But just. Prep. And when the time comes so you feel comfortable, you mapped out your finances, you you know, you even calculated, you know, the accidental windfalls of, you know, expenses you weren't ready for, like you break your leg because you tripped over the stairs or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, prepare for that because that is ultimately all gonna be your demise potentially in what you're trying to do if you didn't appropriately prepare yourself for it. And I highly ill advise people to think that oh I'm just gonna start a business and I I really don't have any money on my own I'm just going to expect that someone else is going to give me the money because that's not going to happen unless you're a brilliant guy and you at least build some sort of IP that has value and even at that point it takes months sometimes to attract the attention of an investor to take you seriously. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, well let's talk about what your company what you do today and if you could go in a little bit more detail about closing those two sales like what was involved when getting those first clients and what you were selling them on, what you could do for them.
0: Yeah, sure. So what I do is I, I I run a digital marketing agency. But the biggest thing I like to focus on is revolving around growth hacking. So we like everyone does, you know, a lot of people do Facebook ads, Google, PPC, and they write blogs and all that fun stuff. But the big thing that we as an agency like to implement are strategies that are non-conventional, very non-conformist. Like if everyone is doing Facebook ads, for a specific type of industry, I like to look at other areas that maybe aren't being tapped because those are the vulnerable areas that you could take advantage of. Or if we have to jump in the pool with everyone else, it's the way we're going to deliver the ad is going to be in a whole new method. Like chatbots are becoming you know, a thing right now, but there's a barrier to entry to development. I would want to develop the chatbot for my client instead of just doing an ad that's just a website click kind of ad. I would want to make something very fresh, very new, very interesting. Innovative, So that's kind of like where our agency differentiates, you know, ourselves from others because we really are the most out of the box strategic thinking digital agency that is going to be looking for ways to, you know, see high yield and ROI at lower costs. So that's, you know, you know, second flight in a nutshell. And, um, the biggest thing though is when I was, you know, getting myself for my first few clients, I used to be on the other end where agents, I worked with agencies. So I saw like how they presented themselves with their pitches. So they would, you know, we'll have an agency that we're looking for for SEO or digital marketing or whatever. And the same pitch was like for every single agency. I almost was able to look at, print all the, you know, the presentations that they gave us. And if I were to line them up and then just, you know, scrabble them around and then put the same branding, I would think it was just the same company. So there was a lack of differentiation of the onboarding and the sales process that these agencies were giving. And that's what I didn't want to be. So what stands out back then and even till today is What I myself and my team like to do before we even take a dime from our client, we actually build a full-on comprehensive plan that actually, you know, another agency they charge like five to sometimes ten thousand dollars for this full market recap and strategy, but we just give it for free. You know, we absolutely just say, hey, we here's the farm. If you want to buy it, great. If you want to take it away from us, then honestly, that's kind of shame on you. That's kind of not right. But hey. We at least want to show you that we know what we're doing. We're willing to take your investment and actually feel like we could do a good job. And I feel like it's needed because not every company is the same way. And back in the day, I just used to draw out these really impressive, like 30 page, you know, full on plan of actions. And back when you don't have really a company and you're starting out, that's what stands you out the extra work, the extra hard work to show that you're willing and able to do what you need to do rather than the boilerplate. No, yeah, we do this, we do that, and here's a price. So that's how I landed my first few clients and how I even get clients today. And actually, it's a great way for me to really even assess if I even want to work with the client because there's been times that, you know, people come to me and they're like, they're interested. They have cash in hand, essentially, and they're like, we want to work for you, we're willing to pay your rates, whatever it is. You know, we love what you do. And then I ask for, you know, I learn about the industry, I start building a plan. But at that time, I'm also vetting the market. Place vetting if I'm even interested because you know, I see a lot of these digital marketing agencies nowadays. They're like mill shops, they just take everyone. They just say, Yeah, we'll do your social media. Yeah, we'll do ads for you. And they just don't care if it's a diaper brand to a underwear. You know, they just take anyone. And for me, I rather focus on brands and companies that I honestly feel like are quality products. There's a market fit and there's areas that I know I could add value to. Because I value myself on the track record that the agency has. Can you
1: give us a specific example, like a a company and tell us like, because for someone like me who has no idea about, I guess you have been pitched in the past by an agency. I've never been pitched by an agency. So, I mean, like how much do you charge monthly? And like I said, if you can give us a detailed example of someone that you have closed and what work you do for them.
0: Yeah, Yeah, sure. So if anyone's looking for an agency, there's tons of different agencies, Right. There's the local agencies to the Madison Avenue kind of agencies and they all can range and most of them are retainer based and the retainer based on whatever the service is could be as low as 200 to 500 bucks to as high as $10,000 or multi-million dollar contract kind of stuff. It all really depends on the scope of work, right? But oftentimes, most especially young, or local base or small companies, they are starting to look at this almost as a commodity-driven price, and they look for the bottom end of the cheapest. And that's where this whole new market of uh, companies in this space have developed. Where like, yeah, we'll do your we'll do your SEO for five hundred dollars or two hundred dollars. And I know based on what they're saying, it's just total BS, and they're just leveraging a buzzword and what people believe, but they're not educated enough to know actually what is needed in the extent to actually rank. It's much more difficult, you know, but they get sold these false, you know, deliverables, But they see a low price point. So they're like, yeah, I could pay five hundred dollars and you're gonna do all this stuff, but everything that they're producing is just complete garbage. And then you have these, you know, then you go into a little bit more of the mid tier agency, which are more solid. And I would say if you run into someone who positions themselves under grand for any service, run away. If you run into a company that floats within, if you need, let's say, social media work, you know, ad work and maybe some content creation and SEO, if they're positioning themselves at a price Point anywhere between let's say twenty five hundred to six grand. Take the time to listen because that actually seems about right, right? My price points usually float around that range. Typically, we're more around the thirty five hundred. We usually is our starting point to as high as we have clients that are upwards of ten thousand plus. But it all depends on how much deliverables are needed and met, and how much you know how much involvement we're really going to be into. So that's that. Now for some clients that we worked with, you know, we have clients. That are in the you know SaaS space, you know software as a service space, and we also have clients that are in the product space. You know the SaaS. One of our clients, uh, mobile text alerts. They are SMS, um, you know, delivery marketing software. And you know, we've been doing great with them. We actually, within a short period of time, more than three hundred percent increased their lead generation and sales. And we taken products that are some of the biggest products on channels like HSN and QVC that had no digital marketing presence. But eventually, they ended up growing to be close to a high. Five figure revenue generating uh, business online within a short period of six months, you know, that had virtually no, you know, product uh, exposure. So there's a lot of different case studies with different industries. But the one thing I have to say when this question kind of comes up is it doesn't matter what business you're in or what product you're selling, it's more about what the objectives are. If you're looking for Legion or looking for sales, that never changes. It's just different copy and different creative that's. Going to lead you down the way.
1: So, I guess in your journeys, did you just go straight from New York to Colorado or was there anything in between?
0: Oh, no. The Colorado um move was just literally recent, it happened like a week ago. But other than that, I was in the New Jersey, New York area.
1: Okay. Well, I, I undergo a name change at some point? <laughs>
0: Yes, I did. I underwent a uh, last name change. Colin, my original last name was Bolund, and when my wife and I were getting married, we actually wanted to combine our last names. You know, I've been estranged from my family for ten years, and unfortunately, things have never changed. And you know, I was thinking, you know, I wanted to get like a fresh start during this whole thing. And that was around the time that I was like just starting my agency. You know, I didn't have press around me yet, so. I I told my wife, I was like, how about we instead of a hyphen, and I'm not even a fan of you know, my last name as of now and I want to create this whole new breadth of chapter and show something that really signifies our commitment and love for one another and we came up with Cullen because her last name is Colick, my last name is Bolin, and if you start with her first letter and go with my letter being the second letter of my last name, it actually spells out Cullen which is kind of cool. So it just seemed like everything fit and yeah, so my last name now is Nick Cullen, but previously my former last name was um, Nick Bolwyn.
1: Want to talk a little bit about some of the difficulties? I mean, that sounds like you had talked about some dark times or some difficult times that you had to deal with. Was there reason, like you said, you wanted a fresh start? You said, but other reasons leading up to it.
0: The thing is, like growing up, you know, I had strict parents, right, and that went, you know, unfortunately awry, and things never really got fixed or settled, and. I mean, the thing is, I don't want it to be felt like, you know, I just wanted to change my last name just because I hate my family, right? You know, my mom will always be my mom. My dad will always be my dad, despite whatever happened, right? But the last name was really honestly something that I would have done whether I had a good relationship or not with them. And you know, I think when I look back on, you know, other parts of what got me here for a long time, I held a lot of resentment. I held a lot of anger and frustration around, you know, the fact that of all the struggle I went through, you know, it was freaking hard, you know, dealing with that. And when you're 17 years old, having all that stress, having no, you no know, outlet, feeling abandoned, you know, that was really. Right. And still to this day, you know, there's nights that I confine to my wife and I'm, I explain like I don't understand how, you know, I could never do this to my own kids. I don't get how they could live their life knowing that, you know, someone's out there and they don't know anything about them. And it's even more kind of cruddy when you're doing well for yourself. And I feel like every kid wants to like go and share all the cool success. Oh, love,
1: love. Hey there, you might've noticed the conversation faded off there. Well, we had a brief glitch with the audio recording, but we jumped right back on a call after that. So if you want to get the second part of the conversation here, head over to our website, millionaire-interviews.com and you throw in backslash 003. It'll bring you right to Nick's episode and you can hear more about his company and the tips that he gives me on launching a podcast. So see you on the website. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been made available for free by our podcast sponsors and our Patreon members. So thank you to you both, especially our newest and oldest Patreon members for paying for this episode. Without you guys and gals, we wouldn't be here. So would you be willing to pay for someone else to listen for free? After all, this episode wouldn't be available without our current members helping us cover some of the costs for you to listen for free. If you are willing to help support us and get some awesome Patreon perks along the way, then go to austinsbigp.com to become a Patreon member today. That's austinsbigp.com. Oh, and by the way, Austin's Big P, that stands for Austin's Big Podcast. So again, if you're willing to pay it forward and allow someone else to listen to this episode for free, then go to austinsbigp.com.